Okay, welcome again. My name is Josh. For those that might just be tuning in uh, online, and for some of you who are just now tuning in here physically, um, welcome to Bethel. Uh, we gather. We gather because Jesus took our place on the cross. We don't gather because we're good people. We don't gather because we're religious people. We gather because we are redeemed people. That changes the conversation. We are going to jump into a new series in the book of Judges called Troubled Hearts. So if you don't know where Judges is, it's in the Old Testament. It's after the five books of Moses. Right after that you'll find Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. The people are troubled in the book of Judges because in verse 1 of Judges 1, it says that Joshua, their leader, has died. Every, every hope that they had in this tremendous prophet of God, he has died. And we're going to see the recap in chapter 2. The very last verse in Judges says this. There was no king in Israel. Every person did what was right in their own eyes. So some of you are thinking, hey, that sounds a lot like today. Well, yes, we are still troubled. And the only answer for any of our troubles is that the true king reigns on the throne of heaven and on the throne of your life. So judges as a reminder, we need to get right. Because until the true king reigns, we will always be troubled. And you know, I found that transitions are difficult. Transitions from Joshua to the next ruler. Um, I'm thinking about the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. The men's and women's 4x100 relay for the United States was by far and away the odds-on favorite to be on the podium. On the podium means you're either going to have gold, silver, or bronze. But we don't want bronze, and we don't want silver, we want gold. But something happens. As they were running the race, an odd noise occurred. It sounded like the clank of metal on asphalt. These world champion sprinters somehow dropped the 12-inch baton between the runners. Now listen, I would think I'm not a world-class sprinter. I know that's going to surprise some of you. I can't run the 4 by 100 relay, but I can pass a baton. And so often in life, what would seem like the easiest transition is the most difficult. So as we look at the transition of faith in the book of Joshua, I want, to th- I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about you receiving faith. And, and I'm going to cast today's message in this way. I call it one generation away from extinction. Because Christianity it has always been one generation away from complete extinction. And we say, God, why would you allow that? If this is your plan for the world, God, why would it be so fragile? But what we call fragile, God calls faith. So let's pray and then we will jump into the word of God. Father, as we read your word, may we receive it with joy and gladness as your gift to us. Lord, open our eyes and our ears. Father, every single person here is in a transition of some kind. Lord, may we run the race well. May we pass on faith. 
Even today as we prayed for Watkins earlier, Lord, this young four-month-old, may we pass on the faith that someone has given to us to the next generations. Lord, thank you for entrusting faith to fallen people. Thank you that the power is not of us, but that we hold this treasure in jars of clay, that the power of the one true God might be displayed even in our weakness. Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Some of you are thinking, okay, are you really going to preach through Judges? Yes, we are. Judges chapter 2, verse 6, I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Previously, when Joshua sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. So Judah, they had their land. Benjamin, they had their land. The Levites had several different areas. Naphtali, Simeon, they had their land. So they're each going to the tribe and the territory allotted to their tribe. And as they're doing that, verse 7, the people worshipped. Now go ahead and circle that word because we're going to come back. The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. And during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua, they had seen all the Lord's great works that he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnahares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Some of you are, some of you are asking, so where is Timnahares. Well, it's, it's just north of Mount Gosh. There you go. The whole generation was gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or his great works for what he had done for Israel. So the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and they worshipped Baal and the Asherahs. So we start where the book of Judges starts. Now we're going to start in chapter 2. Some of you who are astute are saying, well, the book of Judges starts in chapter 1. We're going to get there. But we see in verse 6... That before Joshua has died, he is sending out the people. And in this moment, and during the lifetime of Joshua, what are they doing? They are worshiping. Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping the one true God. Now the word worship means to prostrate, prostrate or bow down to the Lord. The word Lord here is the covenant name of God. So don't think of this as a one moment once a week. Think of this as the people were worshipers. So worship is not really something you do. It's not an event. It's who you are. The people were worshiping and they were worshiping right. They were worshiping the one true God. When and how were they worshiping? This is key. They were worshiping throughout the lifetime of who? Joshua Son of Nun and Caleb. Caleb's not mentioned, but Caleb is here. And the other 
elders. So this is a lifetime faith. So this gives me a great opportunity to bless some of our, some of our elders. As long as the elders were alive, as long as those who had seen God's work, as long as they were serving and living faithfully, younger generations worshipped the one true God. So if you consider yourself an elder, I'm going to call you out shortly, don't worry. Think about this for a moment. What if your presence here is a reminder to those younger not to give up? What if your presence here is an example to those that don't have an example? What if your perseverance is a reminder to those who are coming before you? Don't give up. God is not finished with you yet. He will take you through the storm. Because he's done that for me. The Bible says that a generation is roughly 40 years. So if you have, if you have been following Jesus Christ for 40 years or longer, can you stand up for a second? Do we have any? Wow. I didn't realize some of you were even 40. Church, can we honor them? We don't honor you because you have a long life. We honor you because you have a lifetime of faith. And we want to thank you and bless you for your example in our midst. So thank you. You can have a seat. Church, I believe that's important. Because I believe as long as these people are alive, others are going to see the faithfulness of God. So if you are in that group that was standing, just know that we value you, we treasure you, and God is not through with you yet. I believe you're here to tell others, do not give up. This is what a lifetime of faith looks like. And it's not rocket science. A lifetime of faith in Christ is simply this. It's long obedience in the same direction. It's falling down and getting up over and over and over again. Those who stood up would probably say there were days where they were on their face. But God lifted them. This is a life time of faith. It's not easy, but it is worth it. And those that have experienced lifetimes of faith would say to you and to me that they have seen the great works that God has done in their life. But it's a reminder here in Joshua chapter 7. It's one thing to see the great works or to hear about them. It's another thing to experience them, isn't it? It's one thing to, to hear about God working But it's another thing to know. Not just to say, well, I heard God do this in the next generation. But to say, I see God do this in my life. So here's my encouragement to you today. If you stood up, continue to stand every day. Live your life one day at a time for Jesus Christ. If you are not standing, I pray that there will be a day in your life where you can stand up and say, God has been faithful for 40 years. God has been faithful for 50 years. Joshua can say, listen, I know I'm old, but God has been faithful for 110 years. Jesus is worth it. Be a Joshua. Be an elder. Never discount what a lifetime of faith can do for yourself and do for others. But something happens. Old people die. That's not, that's not, again, that's not scholarly opinion. That's just natural selection. 
And what happens in the scriptures when the elders begin to die out who have personally tasted and seen that God is good? Something happens. Look at verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, had lived to the perfect life, right? 110. That's the, that's the year that Joseph had died. That's the, the year of fullness. And he dies. And they bury him. In Timnah Again, I told you, it's just north of Mount Gaash. So next time you're at Mount Gaash, go visit the grave of Joshua. Now, the Word of God is inspired. All of it is inspired. And it's in the order, the canonical order that God wants it to, to be. But that doesn't mean it's in chronological order. And we see that right here in Judges. So, Judges chapter 1 actually follows Judges chapter 2 verse 9. Right? Joshua has just died. Look at Judges 1.1 now. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord. So Joshua 1.1 here goes with Joshua 2, 8, 9, and 10. So now we get a, a bigger picture. Joshua is dying out. A lifetime of faith becomes a generational faith. The baton is about to pass. And when he dies, the Israelites inquired of the Lord. Now, how do they know how to inquire of the Lord? Because they saw Joshua. They saw the elders inquiring of the Lord. They knew how to seek God because they saw someone do it. Never discount what little eyes see in your life. They're watching and they are learning. One day I pray that little eyes that, not, that not, aren't even in my biological family would know how to inquire of the Lord because they have seen this place inquire of the Lord. Joshua dies and they ask, well, who? Who will be the first to fight for us? Now that's a natural question, isn't it? It's natural because Joshua is... It's natural because Joshua is dead. And so they say, Lord, the leader's gone. Who will go for us? They were asking the right question, but they sought a personality rather than a person and a nature. They forgot that God was still in their midst. They were seeking a physical leader and, and God was reminding them, I am with you. See, this is the danger of generational faith. If your faith is based upon a personality, it will crumble one day. And we live in a world where we desire spiritual heroes. We live in a world where I'll ask, I'll ask people, hey, do you follow Jesus Christ? And they would say, of course I do. My grandmother sang in the choir. Did I ask the question wrong? Well, of course I believe in Jesus. My dad led, led the music. What? My, my great-grandfather was a pastor. You see, we still live in a world, don't we, where our faith is more personality-driven than the person of Jesus Christ. This is not just a judge's issue. And I am thankful for grandparents 
And aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers and spiritual leaders who are passing faith on. But listen, church, if your faith is based upon a person, a human, and not on the person of Jesus Christ, it will crumble. We need God. We need Him. Did Joshua do anything wrong? No. He lived an example before the people, but it's the reminder in our lives, God does not have spiritual grandchildren. You can't get to heaven on Mamaw's faith. You can't. And the sad reality is that many of us in the West, we are living off of someone else's faith and not our own. Generational faith is not faith. There has to be a day where the baton is passed and and you take it, not drop it. And this is what we see. Church, if you can only give the next generation anything at all, give them your prayers, not your preferences. Give them the truth of God, not your traditions. Give them the opinion of the eternal word of God and not your personal opinion. One day I'm not going to be here and I pray that there will be generations that rise up and they know how to inquire of the Lord because we've showed them. May we pass down a generation of faith, not personality-driven hope. They asked a good question, but it wasn't the best question. And then we see this. Joshua's died out. He, he lives a lifetime of faith. We have the generational faith. They, they ask who will go out. And, and of course Judah is the natural selection. Judah, the, the lion, the Bible describes Judah as. It's the same tribe that one day King David would, would be birthed from. It's the same tribe that one day Jesus the Messiah would come from. And then Joshua passes. And we see this. In verse 9, they bury Joshua. In verse 10, the whole generation was gathered to their ancestors. That means Joshua, Caleb, and all the elders who had come out of the Exodus were dead. After them, the same word used in 1-1, right? After this, Joshua had died. Another generation who rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. No, they knew. Do you know how long this is removed from the Exodus? Roughly 67 years, one rabbi said. This is 67 years from the crossing of the Red Sea. They heard about God. They, they knew about His works. Many of them had seen firsthand what God had done in their life. But here's what we see. If a lifetime of faith is strong and generational faith is shaky, then cultural faith is doomed from the start. If you have your Bibles open, put your finger on Joshua 2.8. Now put your finger on Joshua 2.11. Joshua 2.8. Judges 2.8, sorry, Joshua has died. Judges 
11, Israel is doing what is right in their own eyes. You know how much, you know how far that is? It's about that far in my Bible. In two verses, everything has descended into moral decay. How could this be? How could God's people do what is evil in the Lord's sight? Right after Joshua's graveside, because they had cultural faith. They believed because Joshua believed. They believed because Caleb believed. They believed because their culture believed. Do you remember what we said earlier? Not only did they believe, but they were worshiping the one true God. And now they were giving attention to something else. Church, this is the essence of cultural Christianity. This is what it looks like when faith really isn't faith and faith is convenient. When you're faithful because you think faith is what you should be doing. Now look what happens to the people in verse 11. They're doing what is evil in the the Lord's sight. Don't miss the word Lord. That's That's the name of God for His covenant faithfulness. That is, I am who I am. That is the name given to Moses, given to Joshua, and passed on. That's that's a big deal. They did evil in the sight of that God. If that wasn't enough, they worshipped the Baals. I find that fascinating. Because did we not read, again, that far away in the text, in verse 7, that the people were worshipping the one true God? In four or five verses, they're worshiping something else. Why? Why would they worship Baal and Asherah? Well, let me tell you about these gods, first of all. I think this will give us context. I've been to many museums in Israel, and I've been in places, even in, in London, they have God, little gods of Asherah and Baal in the Museum of Natural History. It, And these little statues are primitive little stone statues. Most of them are either voluptuous or pot-bellied. And I've never once, when I saw these gods, I've never once had a desire to throw myself on the floor and say, Oh God of Baal, Oh God of Asherah, Be my redeemer. Be my savior. No, I I look at these little stones and say, Israel threw their faith away for that? For a little pot-bellied piece of rock? Why would they do that? Well, what you might not know, that Baal was the God, he was the storm God of Canaan. Also the fertility God. So Israel comes into the land of Canaan and this is what they do. They see that the Canaanites were really good farmers, successful farmers. And the Israelites said, well, if they're successful, maybe if we follow their gods, then we'll be successful also. So let's worship the gods of our culture because we want to be successful as culture defines us. If that hits a little too close to home, good, it should. 
Because not many of us are tempted by Baal and Baal and Ashereth, but we are tempted by other things. We still have gods in our culture, don't we? How about the God, as the old King James says, the God of mammon? You might know it as money. Some of you call it direct deposits. Or mandatory disbursement. It's the idea that one day we'll have enough money where we don't have to be dependent upon anyone. You see, for many of us, money is the God of security. If I just work hard enough, I'm going to keep my nose clean and I won't have to rely on anyone else. Which I believe God has given us a a desire to work hard. But if we're not careful, we begin to think, God, look at what I've done. Look at what I own. And then we realize we've worshipped the God of culture. And not Jehovah Jireh. The one who has provided. Church, don't worship the God of money. Some of us worship at the God of identity. It's the God of our culture that says, be true to yourself. Because that's the highest good. And maybe it sounds something like this. Your truth is your truth. Excuse me? So your truth can be your truth, but my truth can be my truth, and my truth might not be the same as your truth. So where is truth? It's really the the God of, I'm going to find my identity in what I want it to be. And yet what the Bible says is you do have an identity. But your identity is better than you could ever imagine. You are created in the image of someone who is perfect. Your identity is not found on the gram. Your identity is not found in in what you wear or what you own. Your, Your identity is not found in your preference. Your identity is found that you are an image bearer of the Most High God. And you will never be content until you find your true identity. We don't worship Baal, but we worship money. We don't worship Asherah, but we worship identity. We, we don't worship that fertility God, but often we worship the God of sex. We live in a society that is obsessed with sex and sexuality. A, a world that, that teaches if you're in love, then it's okay to do anything that you need to do. Because you're in love. And that's all that matters. We live in a world that teaches us that you are defined by your sexual preferences. As if sexuality is the greatest good that you could ever seek. And yet we're told in the Bible that biblical sexual ethics is grounded in covenant marriage between one man and one woman. And what the Bible says is true, whether you want to believe it or not, what the Bible says is true is that sexuality will only flourish and bring ultimate satisfaction in the bounds of covenant marriage as defined by God. So if you're frustrated with sexuality, maybe you should be doing things God's way and not the God of our culture's way. Church, may we see these as false gods. Do not bow down to the gods of your culture. Because at the end of the day, they are only short, fat, little rocks that will never satisfy 
One day someone's going to be at a museum and going to say, in 2021, they worship that? Are you kidding me? May we worship the only one true God who can satisfy ourselves. And then we see this. The whole generation in verse 10 was gathered to their ancestors. We see in verse 12, they, they worship the Baal as we worship false gods. They abandoned the Lord and they followed other gods. You see, following other gods and following our culture is equivalent to abandoning the one true God. Culture will never lead you to the throne of Christ. It will only lead you away. That's not earth-shattering, is it? It's the same thing that happened in the garden. The first temptation where Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. And they thought by doing things their way, they would get closer to God. And it ended up ushering in sin. First three chapters in the Bible. We see in the days of Noah that the heart of man was desperately wicked above all. So wicked was the world in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 that God said, I am tired. Let's reboot this. We live in, in a world that when God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect person that has ever lived, the world said, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us the murderer Barabbas. We want him. He's more like us. But kill the one who claims to be God. We live in a world that will only lead you to abandon God. This is what cultural Christianity does. And I'm reminded in Judges, each and every one of us here always follows what we love. You show me what you do and I'll show you what you love. Some of you, I know what school you love by what you wear. It's written above your heart. It's a good thing. But we always follow what we love. Israel followed what they loved. They desired success. Dean and Sarah in The Unsaved Christian says this about the God of cultural Christianity. He says it's a mindset that places eternal security in heritage. I was baptized. I'm a member of the church. I remember my first communion. I, I give faithfully. I serve here. It's the mindset that we are eternally secure by what we've done or rites of passage. It believes in a generic deity, the big man upstairs, rather than the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Cultural Christianity makes it easy to abandon God because cultural Christianity is convenient, isn't it? I'm going to worship when I can and when it's convenient, but as soon as things get difficult... Let me back out. That's exactly where Israel was. It's the thought, church, it's the thought for us that we are moral, good people. We can go to church on Easter. And one day when we die, we'll be okay with God. When the reality is, we know the, we know the language of Christianity, but we don't know the love of the Savior. What was wrong with Israel? Where did they go wrong? 
They knew the language of God, but they didn't know the love of the Father. And I believe some of you are there today. Some of you are, you know about God, but you don't know Him. And Judges is the reminder that one day we will all pass a baton. And that one day all of us are required to receive a baton. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, here's what the Bible says about you. You're not perfect. Take a deep breath. There's only one. The bad news is that God is holy, holy, holy. Who can ascend into the presence of God? Who can climb His holy hill? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to another or sworn by what is false. There is not a single pure person here. And it's not until you realize, God, I am broken and I am sinful. Where God will say to you, but Josh, I've, I've made a better way. Israel, I've made a better way. It wasn't about law and doing and knowing. It was about receiving grace. What did Joshua know that Israel did not? He knew that by grace he could receive the promises of God. What did Caleb know that Israel did not? Caleb, the one who was 80 years old and said, I will charge the hill for God. You can stay behind, but I will go for the Lord. He had personally received the promises of God. What did these elders know that Israel did not know? They had personally received the redemption. There was a day in their life where they put the blood of the lamb above their doorpost. And God brought them out of slavery. And God brought them out of captivity. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't have to live as a slave to sin anymore. Quit living off of grandmother's faith. Quit living off of cultural Christianity that cannot save you. Quit living off of this church or a baptism or a rite. Give your life to Jesus Christ. He will redeem you. He will save you. And for the first time, you can experience the love of God, not just know the language. Would you take the baton of faith today? I said, Pastor, how do I do that? It's a prayer of authenticity. It can sound something like this. God, I know that I have failed you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your presence. But God, you say by faith, that Jesus died to take my place. So today I believe that. Lord, cleanse me. Purify me. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sake. I return from my sins and turn to you. The Bible says if you pray a prayer like that, that his answer to you God's answer to us in our sin is, I thought you would never ask. Come into my presence, my child, my son, my daughter.
Would you give up knowing the language so that you can know the love of the Father today? Maybe for you, you need to come and pray and seek the altar because you're not running the race well. And the baton that you're about to pass to someone else is not a baton of righteousness. This is the baton of sin. Would you ask the Lord to change your heart? Would you ask the Lord to, to make it so one day you can stand up and say, God, for 40 years you've been faithful. God, make it so that one day others will know how to inquire of you because they see me and they hear me. Lord, let me model my faith. Would you pray a prayer like that today? Can you imagine if we had a generation of elders throughout the community seeking the Lord boldly and publicly? That we didn't gather and hide in this place, but we went out in the world and we said, we're going to pray and we're going to live out our faith in the workplace. We're going to live out our faith on the ball fields. We're going to live out our faith in the restaurants. Because God, the world needs something better. The world needs something better. As much as it depends on you, will other people know Jesus Christ? May we renounce cultural Christianity and embrace true faith today. Let's pray. Father.